Howard Show. And producer, 5'11", from Blanchester. The Cow Killer, Casey McCollister. And comic engineer, standing at 4'8", the pride of the West Side, Elliot Rearing. Well, a pleasant good Monday morning to you. This is Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. Some call them UDF. I like the United Dairy Farmers, though. It's longer, a little more pronounced, right to the point of exactly who they are. But we appreciate their support as always, but we come your way every single day, Monday through Friday, for those that don't know, from 10 to 12 P. And uh, here we are. Because it's Monday at 10 a.m. And it was a busy sports weekend. And I know that's been the running joke for quite some time around here because the biggest thing that happened in this city over the weekend that we can get fired up about, outside, of course, the Reds, no big deal, 2-0 in spring training. Katie, bar the door. But I'm thinking to myself, the biggest thing that's happened in recent memory for this city that we can be proud about is a zero to zero tie. Here it comes. Here no, it comes. I'm not going to make a joke about it. I'm not going to make a joke about how you could possibly go out and get fired up for a season opener and go sit in relatively decent weather for a short few hours. It was good weather. And just not see a single thing going either side of the the, the, the main goal of the game. Well, actually. the main goal of the game. Nobody, nobody did it. Now I know you're going to have some purists out there that are going to say that was the goal in mind. I get it. I hear it. I know people are already saying that the goal was to not score. The goal was to make sure the other team didn't score. Therefore, you're playing for a tie. No. Plus, there was a goal that was taken away from FC. Ah. Well, uh, oh, here we'll, we'll, we go. We won't talk you about know that. What? We won't talk about that. Now that is some real Cincinnati sports if I've ever seen it. There's nothing more prevalent in sports and i'm sure it's every city in the world but certainly here in cincinnati we love to make sure the officials are part of the reason as to why we can never get over the proverbial hump I mean, it was a lame ass foul just saying just saying it was a lame so it foul. fits right in it fits right in to the narrative that is cincinnati sports all right over the weekend we have t higgins finally officially i don't know if it's been 100 percent official but it's been reported on enough now to know that we are finally there we've speculated for weeks We've talked about when it might happen, who it might ultimately end up being. We all knew it was T. Higgins, but we were trying to figure out a way if it was possibly could be someone else. I almost said Jonah Hill. <laughs> we're going to franchise tag Jonah Hill. That's not obviously what happened. So T. Higgins gets tagged. We'll talk about that. Court storming. Sure enough, uh, Duke loses a game on the road. Wake Forest, their student population was fired up about it. They stormed the court. Kyle Flopowski, Flip Flipowski. Yeah, flip it out. Flip, flip, flip he goes down. Mike Wazowski. He appears injured. He gets kind of helped off the court. And next thing you know, we have nothing but a, uh, a an argument on both sides of the aisle. Should court storming be a thing? We'll talk about it. And then we uh, we have Mr. Mr. Governor. 
getting themselves involved in some gambling situations. We'll have, we'll have a little fun discussion about that. Why I think it's not that big of a deal at all, and that meant not that many people probably should care about it. Outside of Elliot, of course. And then we have uh, we have Cincy Sports on the rundown. But if we're being honest, it's mostly going to be what what is it that's left of Cincinnati Bearcat basketball and Xavier Musketeer basketball? And the answer is, to be honest, if you want a spoiler, not a lot left. Maybe we'll try to squeeze out a little optimism here. Maybe there's a slimmer of hope. Because if there's anything that is great about college basketball is that your season's not technically over until you lose your last game if you play in a relatively big league. Now, you could yeah. not make the tournament if you're terrible in some of the bigger leagues. However, technically speaking, the season's not completely over, Elliot. It's not completely over, but as Dennis Green once said, we are, they are who we thought they were. Uh, and, and at some point, you play enough of these games, you watch enough of these games, and you, you really can't change the narrative about who you are as a team. I tried to figure out who this, this Cincinnati Bearcats team was for the better part of three months now, and, and we found the answer. It's just they're not good enough. Uh, the Bearcats just flat out aren't good enough, and, and we'll talk about that towards the end. Uh, but I, I'm going to do some headlines. That's okay. We'll just of course, do a little rundown. Yeah. Now, some of these will probably have been reused from Tom, so I didn't think about that when I was writing these this morning. That doesn't but matter. We're going to do them anyway. Uh, the Reds, as Trey said, are 2-0 to start this spring training. You can put that on a banner, fly it high uh, at Great American Ballpark. They beat Cleveland 4-0 and the Angels 9-4. Benson and Maley are the two big leaguers to hit home runs so far. Hunter Green and Brandon Williamson. They looked good yesterday, going a combined three and two-thirds, striking out six, not allowing a run. As we just mentioned, the Bearcats, disgusting, humiliated, 75-57. Uh, it was just, it's the turnover thing, it's the free throw thing. It, it's, it happens every single game, and it never goes away. Uh, Xavier, yesterday they played a game against Marquette. They were kind of in it there for the first half. Uh, the second half, not so much. 88-64 is the final. The fourth longest streak of most consecutive winning seasons Seems like it's in jeopardy. That's actually a very interesting stat because that's if we have if you have to like slander Xavier in any way, you, you really can't do it because of how consistently good they've been over the past twenty or so years. So shout out to shout out to Xavier, but that is that is uh, in jeopardy. Kentucky, they scored three hundred points, one hundred and seventeen to ninety five as they beat Alabama. They shot fifty four percent from three, sixty four percent from the floor. They legit went like minutes, like five minutes without missing shots. One of the more preposterous things I've ever... It was the highest over I've ever seen. I think it was 180, and it went over by a mile. So, shout out to Kentucky. Ohio State, Trace, they upset Michigan State on the road yesterday. Buzzer beater three. That they did. The Jake Diebler era. Looks like it's starting off strong in Ohio State. He might stay there forever. It's picking up some steam. That's do you right. think they have a chance? Do you think he has a chance? To, do you think he has a chance to stick around? Just, just if they, if slightly. they, make, if they make the tournament, he'll he'll stay. You think if they make the tournament, oh, he's yeah. the guy. If if they make the tournament, he will he will absolutely be there. Because why would you? What would be the reason to fire him? We'll have to figure out a show. The top five worst decisions based off of uh, based off of very very small sample size in the history of sports. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of one off the top of my head. Can't think of it, so we'll, we'll keep rolling. Uh, St. John's upset Creighton. Rick Pitino went on his little rant last week about how it's the most disappointing, frustrating season in the history of sports. Uh, but he did bounce back. He apologized, I think, this weekend. And uh, shout out to them. Beat Creighton at home. 
As we mentioned, the Bengals tagged uh, T. Higgins. Burrow and Chase were spotted in Phoenix uh, dapping up LeBron James yeah. Trace. NBA fans. How about that? Ooh. Your right, guys, guys, big how, NBA guys. How about All that? Right. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I even love I my, my thing that I love the most now is that now we have injury speculations based off the the views of of Joe not using his left hand or uh, yeah his uh, his right hand excuse me he was using his left hand to shake people's hand and uh, people were up in arms about that they were worried about what did it look like why didn't he have a sleeve on does he have a sleeve on it's like man I mean this is how you know there's just not a there's not a lot going on I saw, in the city of Cincinnati in regards to sports. I saw this trending yesterday, and I, honest to God, I couldn't care any less. Like, what do we even, like, I, I guess it's just something to talk about, but it's whatever. Congratulations to LeBron James and Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. It looks like they're all friends. Yeah, and even 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 Reed in the chat points out that Hubbard and, and uh, DJ Reader were there. So what does yeah. that mean? I think it simply means that they have they have friends that, that go to certain things outside of the world of the locker room. I didn't see them give a high five to LeBron, so I guess, I don't know, maybe they're not as close to LeBron as Burrow is. Uh, Daniel Suarez, never heard of this guy, but he won at Atlanta Motor Speedway. After a photo finish, three cars at the finish line looked like the scene from the movie Cars. Casey, I'm going to run this clip uh, if that's okay. You want to run the actual I, clip? Again, after last, I bet on NASCAR for the first time last week. Obviously, I lost. But I did find it interesting when it gets down to that final lap, what happens. And it, this was legit a, a, a recreation of the movie Cars when it's uh, him, Chick, and the other guy, the blue guy. But take a look. No audio, so we can. No audio. Okay, so so again, I don't know how to narrate this. I don't know how to commentate about it. But basically, this is the final lap, and you're gonna have a three-way. Well, you're doing a great job right now. Thank you. That's really that's really encouraging of you. Keep it going. Uh, so three-way tie, heading towards the finish line. I think they call I, I that three I, wide. Three, Coming around turn three. Three wide. That's what they call that. And yeah, that, they don't that call it. it. They don't call it a three-way tie. And that was it. So if you missed it again, that's all you got, Casey. Then go to the cars clip. <laughs> Go to the Cars clip. This was a, liter a, a, a recreation of this very clip. Uh, and obviously, it, it ended up happening. Uh, Daniel Suarez is the winner. So congratulations. We'll, we'll show it one more time for the people that missed okay, it. Since it's coming around. It, here we go. So turn four, by the way, as well. Four, I mean, yeah, sure. And here we go. Who's going to win? Who's going to win? And you just can't tell. Guy on the inside one, right? I think so, yeah. Naked eye tells me that. But yeah, that was, that's, that was so. So you were fired up about that, or what? Did that did that pique your interest at all? No, it no. Was just, there's nothing to talk about. In that. Well, if it I, doesn't pique cool. your interest, I I have a, a, a I thought it was cool. I have a ploy of something that you could possibly watch that would maybe get you somewhat interested in NASCAR, and that is that Netflix as a, as what seems to be the best marketing tool for any league at this point. Now, whether or not it actually converts people over to be fans, I don't know. But um, I don't. You, you could probably pull up the exact name of the NASCAR on Netflix. I don't know if it's called like Speed, uh, Need for Speed, or that's obviously not Need, Need for, for Speed. Need for Speed, yeah. That's but what's good. the what's the what's the actual name on the Netflix documentary? I'm sure the chat will find out. But there is a good documentary of going through the playoffs, and they kind of do what they've done in other leagues and other sports, similar to Full Swing. Maybe it's Full Speed. That's what it might be called. Full Speed. Um, yeah, I'm not sure 100. percent But then Full Swing is the Netflix golf, golf version, to be clear. Um, I believe it that. is full speed. Um, full speed. We'll find out. But nonetheless, it's a uh, it's it's a pretty good little little series. It's got me semi interested in NASCAR, you which is it? about which is about yeah, I watched the whole thing, which about as 
that's pretty good yeah. for being honest. Yeah. Have uh, you ever been to a NASCAR race? I've never been to a NASCAR race. I don't plan on going. But so you're a guy that's uh, you're a guy that's never been to a Waffle House. That's correct. You've never been to a you've never been to a NASCAR race. That's correct. Hadn't been to a hockey game or a, a NHL game, I should say, before this year. Reed took me and Casey to our yeah. or my first hockey game ever. Uh, but yeah, that's it. That's it from that. Uh, also uh, this weekend, Jake Knapp. If you've never heard of him, he's a golfer. He won yes. the Mexico Open. He ran, this is a, this is a cool story. He ran out of money while trying to qualify for the PGA Tour, so he spent nine months working as a bouncer at a nightclub to keep the dream alive. Now, two years later, he has won the PGA Tour, taking home $1.45 million, uh, and also qualifying him for the Masters. Again, that tournament stinks, the Mex Mexico Open. That, what a waste of a tournament that is. Nobody plays in it. Uh, but shout out Jake Knapp. $1.45 million to him. Uh, UC Baseball, they played a game yesterday, Trace. Normally, I wouldn't mention it or look at it. I just saw the score went a little bit viral, not really, but a little bit on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, final score, 25-2. to two. That Coastal happen. Carolina. 20, I thought there was a mercy rule in place. Is no mercy mer rule. No mercy rule. Uh, that can happen on some Sundays in college baseball. It can get a little. It can get a little sideways. So for those that don't really watch college baseball closely, relatively simple. You play a three-game series. More times than not, you start on Friday. You end on Sunday. Friday, you have your your aces going. Your number ones, and then Saturday, you have your number twos. Sometimes, though, depending on where you're at and who you're playing, you might even overextend yourself on day one and or day two to try to get a win. So what ultimately ends up happening sometimes, not always, but sometimes, is the depth of your pitching is pretty thin come Sunday. And if your Sunday starter, um, number three guy, doesn't throw the ball that well, there's really nobody left. <laughs> there's, there's not a yeah. lot left. There's freshmen. There's, uh, you get deemed, if you get nicknamed like a, a midweek guy, which is something that um, ultimately means you're just not ready to ready to throw the ball during crunch time or any nut cutting time as we say around here. So I'm guessing UC got themselves in a predicament on either Friday or Saturday, where the only thing they had left on Sunday were some midweek guys, and um, just tossed them out there, and they threw them to the wolves, and the wolves ate them up. Yeah, um, that that's unfortunate. Shout out to UC baseball. I think historically one of the very worst programs of all time. But good, 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 from, good on them. I also, I obviously we we said the score was zero zero um, for the the FC versus Toronto match. And I yeah. just I had this little nugget. Uh, they passed the ball four hundred and fifty times. So that was your stat of the day for if you if you watched uh, FC versus Toronto, they passed the ball four hundred and fifty times. I'm sure that's about average sure I, I mean there's no metric for it but yeah I, I i props to them when do you think they will score next game uh you know they're gonna need to start scoring if they want to win well, yeah i mean that that's who would you say was the player of the match uh i would say the guy that stepped up the most was probably miles robinson stepping in for matt miazga okay on, on the back end on the defense. did he have any uh did he contribute to that 450 pass total I'm sure he did in some shape or fashion. Really, it just boils down to FC not having uh, great chemistry. They had nine starters out there, or mm -hmm. nine new guys out there. I'm sorry. Nine and they're starting and they're starting eleven. Yep, nine of their starting eleven. Um, and uh, you know, and, and some of those guys were they played significant time last year, but they're they're in different positions like uh, Kubo and things of that nature. But you know. 
the the chemistry between Acasa and Barial and and Vasquez what they they had played together for years at that point last year at that point and FC is notorious for starting off slow to begin their seasons I just double checked to remind myself two years ago they lost their opener zero hang on five nil let me let me let me that was very myself. good of you Casey very, good. very nice before job. y'all kill me for that and then uh, last year their opener was canceled and the next game they played was Philadelphia who they lost to in the playoffs um, prior to that and they and they lost that game three to one Fair so enough. they they, they notoriously well, are slow point well taken uh quick question you said they were notorious for starting slow they've had an they have they've had a franchise existence yeah. since how long I mean, we're talking. Well, <laughs> the three years? What are they, it's, it's been more than that in the MLS. It's almost year, been like five. I've just, four years? I, if I'm not allowed to needle in you about the MLS and FC Cincinnati, Casey, then I'm, my, I'm not going to be able to needle match, you about anything. My player of the match was Roman Salentano. Were you wearing the Bengals hat today because of the T. Higgins franchise Correct. tag? Correct. That fired you up so much. You're like, you know what? I'm going to put on the stripes today, a boys. Little, we're going to head into Monday office. We're putting the stripes on. It was between this or the FCC scarf, and I went with this one. Keep in mind, I don't, I don't, I don't have the FCC scarf yet, yet. But I, I, I you're look, gonna get one. I look to get one this year. Oh, okay. If they go on a 12 game winning streak, I'll get a scarf. That's a fact, and I'll wear it on the show every day. All right, T Higgins news. Uh, you have guys out there right now that are championing this. They're they're fired up about it. They are uh, they're they're in a position where they feel like maybe, and I'm just not hopefully speaking for them uh, exactly, but it seems as if if you are a fan of of tagging T Higgins then you are somebody that wants to go proverbial I guess somewhat all in this season and you want to try to find a way to keep the best players possible uh on the team and you don't want to trade anybody and you don't you know and and you don't you don't maybe believe in the idea of extending T which with the salary cap increase again I don't know enough about it to really get into the need deep the weeds of this but you have another side of the aisle right now, if we're being completely frank, that it seems to be the majority of the aisle that's displeased with this. Not because they don't want T. Higgins, uh, but largely because they feel as if if the, if the tag came this quickly, then T. Higgins in the Bengals' front office is pretty far away from some kind of extension. Mm. Casey, do you think that that's the case? Do you think that's a fair assessment of, the, of as to why the Bengals would have tagged him this quickly i don't know if that's the case necessarily because i think the initial leak came from i i don't i don't know this this is more speculation on my part but i feel like it came from t side of the field came from it came from their corner to try mm -hmm. to let the league know like hey uh maybe there's some trade opportunities available and and i think the the Bengals too they're not gonna turn their nose away from any opportunities that could lead to their success and that includes trading t higgins now will they is a whole other question because they value t to uh probably more than every team in the league to be honest with you um they're, they're probably asking for an outrageous amount of of draft capital but if there's a team that's silly enough to do it then they'll pull the trigger on it now i i feel like they're not that far behind on a contract it's more or less the Bengals just don't give out those type of contracts to I – I won't call T. Higgins a B-level player because he's not a B-level player, but he's not your 
your star on the receiving core. It's Jamar Chase. They're going to give that contract to Jamar Chase. They're going to give him those guaranteed years. T. Higgins, on the other hand, has uh, injury history. He's I, I saw uh, Everett um, on Tom's show mention the games that he's played. Yes, he's played 16 games uh, two or three times in a season, and he missed, tw- uh, he missed um, four or five games last year. But there's times where he plays the game and then is out for, like, three quarters. There's times where he gets taken out of games that he still gets the starting stat, but he doesn't play the remainder of the game. And the, that stat can be misleading a little bit. So I think the the injury thing is legitimate. I think that um, the real issue is just, you know, they're not going to give out guaranteed years past the first year. That's just what it boils down to. And the Bengals are going to leave open the door to any possibilities. Per a report uh, via X.com, it's looking like several team executives believe the Bengals will get a first-round pick or a early second-round pick right. if they were to trade. Yeah, I mean, I, I've looked at many of the receiving tra- trades uh, over the last couple seasons, like the Tyree Kill trade, A.J. Brown trade, Hollywood Brown trade. Um, I mean, Stephon Diggs, all those guys. And T. Higgins is somewhere in between all those guys, right? And most of them received a first-round pick and some. So, in my mind, T. Higgins probably, evaluation-wise, is somewhere between picks 15 to 10 to 40 yeah, in that range. And anything less, the Bengals would probably wouldn't want to do that. Now, the Bengals' evaluation of, of T is probably more than that, though. That's what I'm getting at. Is I don't think that there, oh, sure. will, there will be a trade that happens unless there's a team that's willing to give up a first and a second. I, 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 I genuinely think that's what the trade offer on the table is at the moment. My thing, though, is, and again, and I think Reed kind of alluded to this in the chat, out of all, all the, out of all the outcomes that can happen with T, so you can either trade him right now or you can have him play for this season, uh, have him play through the season. I don't think there's a, a wrong option. If it were up to me, uh, as of right now, you'd probably trade him. But, again, I don't think it's a bad thing to have this guy uh, do a Jesse Bates-type situation, have him play this year and contribute to a team that, uh, again, would like to get back to the playoffs, would like to get back to a Super Bowl, an AFC championship game. And having T. Higgins uh, is, is, a major, is a major factor in that equation of getting there. So I... I know there's a lot of fans begging to be traded, begging him to be traded, because you don't want to, you know, with walk with your with your tail between your legs uh, at the end of the season. You get nothing for him. But I'd say this: I think he can contribute this year at a very high level, at a level probably you wouldn't get back if you did trade him. So I would keep. I would. I would. I would consider letting him uh, at least play the season. Don't trade him. Don't rush to trade him. Well, one of the uh, other big things that happened over this weekend that we didn't have a chance to talk about was the cap space increasing. It was expected to be at like that 242 range. Bengals were expected to get like 60 million in cap. It increased by 12, 13 million. Yeah. So now it's at 255, which means they have an extra 10 to $12 million in cap space to play with. And that to me screams like future years. Can you imagine what that increases to? Yeah. Eventually, you might look at that T. Higgins deal, and it might look like a steal. 
Because I'm telling you, guys like Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase are going to come up, and they're going to be wanting that 30. And then there's Jordan Addison, whoever the next great receiver is. I, I can't remember all the great receivers off the top of my head that are rookies, but you know what I'm saying. There's going to be more people that get top dollar very soon. And I think, in all honesty, the, the, this is a almost a 0.0.1% or, you know, sure, very, very small chance of this happening. But I still feel like they should maybe consider giving him the contract anyways because if the cap space continues to grow like it's growing, $25 million per year for T. Higgins is going to look like a steal. It all comes down to how much you value the position, and I think that's where this this ultimately will end up going. And, and we're going to find out relatively soon what that means for the rest of this league. Uh, you have some big-time names of some players in the next two years that are going to have to probably set the bar as to what that looks like. And you're right. The, the biggest maybe caveat to all of this is, is if you're trying to be a, a manager or a front office executive here in regards to what this looks like as a roster um, standpoint, the cap is a big part of that. And if the cap continues to increase the way it has, do, do, you, do you start to assume, which is what you're getting at, and forecast the idea that the NFL is going to continue to grow and grow and grow and grow, more revenue, then obviously as, as the league makes more money, the cap's obviously going to go up. Um, but again, how much of that is the player really receiving the benefits of the cap going up? It's not so much that, that the, that the uh, GMs and maybe even the owners that make the decisions, whoever it is that you think makes the decisions, it's not so much that they're going to have more flexibility because they have the ability to go out and get multiple guys with the, the money in which has been opened up with now, as much as it is that these players are going to start trying to demand more and more money because the cap is what it is. If there weren't a cap at all, it would be interesting to see, as I said before, with the guaranteed contracts, et cetera, et cetera. It would be interesting to see what that would look like when you start to have these big-time contracts for the quarterbacks. Because if there is no cap and there is no limit, how much are these guys truly worth? I don't know. Oh, man. One could make the argument that they're not, you know, that, that they're worth exactly what they are, but it all comes down to leverage and negotiation. You are whatever someone's willing to pay you. That's your worth. And at this point, Jefferson's going to be the guy that's going to try to set that bar. Yeah. And Jamar Chase is going to sit back, and he's going to watch all this happen, and he's going to let them do all the dirty work. And then he's going to come in after that happens, and he's going to ask for just as much, if not more, obviously. So, but ultimately the goal is to win, is to win a Super Bowl. And that's where, like, this whole game of playing – let's be the smartest GM or let's be the smartest franchise known to man and make sure we, we get as many people at good or, or, or team value as we can. But you sometimes, at least I think, that if you get into the weeds of all this too much, you forget what the really the goal is. And that's just to win football games and win a Super Bowl. You don't have to be the smartest team ever to do that. And you can you can take risks, and maybe they'll pay off, maybe they won't. But that's the position that these that the Bengals are going to find themselves in here relatively soon, if not now. Which is, what do you want to try to do? Do you want to try to be? And again, comparing yourself to these teams is tough, but obviously they've had success, so you want to try to be them. But you go back and you look at the Patriots, and you go back now. I guess you could even say the Chiefs, who've let some big time players go. 
just to make sure that they keep what we would say a healthy diet and they don't get themselves overly expended in one area. That's the concern that this Bengals franchise finds themselves in now is how much do you value the wide receiver position? T. Higgins even said openly in an interview, now whether or not he's just sticking up for his quarterback or whether he believes this, I don't know. But he said openly, it really doesn't matter who who Joe Burrow's throwing the football to, Joe Burrow's going to have success. That's what T. Higgins said. Now, that's really going counterintuitive to what he's ultimately trying to get. Right. So the question is, at this point, if you're the Bengals, say whatever you want, make fun of it, laugh about it. I, this is how I genuinely feel about it. You have windows of opportunities. And yes, I get Joe Burrow was funny and he, and he said something great in an interview and he said, my window is my career. Well, there's a lot of guys, there's a lot of guys that their windows were, were not their career. And they were damn good football players. Damn good football players. And I'm too young to know and, and see Dan Marino, right? But I've watched some highlight clips of Dan Marino on accident the last week. <laughs> yeah. And that's just God's honest truth. That dude was an absolute stud. Now, I know that that's not breaking news. But I watched that guy throw football around, and he genuinely, I don't know how in the world you lose with that type of player. Now, they they were competitive. I get it. And it's hard to get over the hump. And does T. Higgins and Jamar Chase and overextending yourself for maybe the next two years, does that, does that get you over the hump? I don't know. But it would just be worrisome to me that you're halfway in and you're halfway out. Right. That's where this needs to be. There needs to be a decision made. What is the actual philosophy moving forward for this Bengals franchise? Is it going to be, you know what? We value our guys. If they want more than what we value them at, then we're going to ship them off and we're going to get draft capital in return. And as we've said before, the biggest area of success, the number one reason that you have a chance to be successful in the NFL is if you draft well. So even if you don't, you go, let's say you do trade T Higgins and you get a first round pick. Okay. Well, you just you can't miss on these guys. And I know that's that's being obvious. But you can't miss on a first round defensive end. He has to be somewhat serviceable. So if you're going to go out now and you're going to convince me that T Higgins is somebody that's asking for too much, you're not going to be able to keep him. They think like they're being unrealistic. Okay, you trade them, that's fine. Then that's a philosophy. Then that's what you believe in. But I'm not going to criticize the Bengals if they do the opposite of that. If they decide, you know what, we have somebody that we think is really damn good. He might be asking for too much, so be it. We're going to go out and we're going to franchise tag him. And then in return, we have the most flexibility from a cap space than almost any team in the league. They're like, what, top eight teams in the NFL? Maybe even top five best situations from a cap space standpoint? Maybe even number one if you want to factor in how much cap space they have Versus how good their team is. It's one thing to have a lot of cap space, but your team be pretty damn bad. The Bengals find themselves in a unique situation where they have pretty good flexibility from a cap standpoint, but also have a competitive roster. Last year, Duke Tobin says, I'm not going to break, and again, I'll read through this. Quote, said, I'm not breaking any news today. That's something we'll decide here in the next few days. We drafted him. He's a guy, that's de he's a guy that developed and that has played well, and that has a real role on our team. 
in a lot of different areas, particularly in leadership and playmaking skills. He's a guy we want, to move, we, we want going forward. We want him to be a part of our group, so we'll see what we can do to get that done. That was a direct quote on March of 2022 about Jesse Bates. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that you have to say exactly what your plan is to the media. Clearly, Duke Tobin can, can kind of like, you know, play psychological uh, therapist, if you will, through the media and try to portray an image. And behind closed doors, they're having real cutthroat conversations about, you know, what people think they're worth and what they're not. So I'm not naive to all that. But on one hand, you can't act as if these guys are a huge part of your team and you can't leave and they can't miss them. And you have the defensive coordinator and, uh, and Lou Anarumo going out and saying it'll be a dark day in hell if, if uh, Bates and Bell leave, and then they leave. And then it was a dark day in hell. Yeah. They were terrible. So it's almost as if if you have the flexibility and the freedom to spend money – and you know you have people in your locker room and you know you have you you don't need to reinvent the wheel you have them then spend the money on them that's kind of the philosophy that's where i that's where i don't understand people that are like well i mean you can't spend that much money on a, on on a, a safety or you can't spend this much money on a wide receiver you can't have two wide receivers getting paid that much money okay well then what do you believe that you're elite at because if you're elite at drafting, right, then yeah, sure, you could, probably, you could probably genuinely agree that, you know what, we can replace these guys. But like it or not, and I know that people will kill me for saying this, but the Bengals have not been all that great at drafting. They've had some top picks that they've hit on, and, that, and that's a big deal. I'm not downplaying that. But how many guys have you seen that have been big, impactful players on this roster that have come middle to late rounds on this, in this franchise? Genuinely asking, because I have not paid attention enough long enough, Casey. But how many times can we sit here and say that they've done a great job from a front office standpoint, but yet when you turn around and you look, most of these decisions that are being made right now are about guys that they got high in the draft. Now, Teagans was a second rounder, yes. But if you were to trade him right now, there's an argument that it's a late first or a second round pick, which is where he got drafted in the first place. Right. I think, you know, when you're talking about how the Bengals' history in terms of drafting, where it stacks up against the rest of the league, they struggle on day three, guys. The fourth through seventh round picks have been a lot of misses. And a lot of misses probably since back in the, the Geno Atkins, Carlos Dunlap days. Uh, the, that, that team was built off of some of the fourth round guys, like Mohamed Sanu, Marvin Jones, uh, I think of like Vontaze Perfect was, wasn't even drafted. There's guys on that roster back when, when Andy Dalton was still quarterback, where that team was built off of those guys. This Bengals era has been built off of the day one, day two guys, the first, second, and third round guys, which is fine. You're supposed to hit on those. You're supposed to hit on those. Those are your top 100 guys. It's hard to miss on that. The back end, they, they've really struggled on. Really, really struggled. They spent a lot of capital on linemen on day three. None of those have hit. You might consider Volson a hit. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, even even some of the like edge rushers they've gotten on day three, some of the defensive guys, like uh, Zach Carter or um, 
Hubert Hoover like retired after a year in the NFL. Um, there's guys that they just completely whiffed on in, in, in those rounds. And it, you're right. Like the Bengals just have to hit on not just the early rounds. They got to hit on a couple of late guys too, to just have quality starters, right? You're spending the problem with the Bengals is they're spending money on guys that are just starter level and nothing more like the Hubbards, like the BJ Hills, all, all these guys. And yes, they've had some guys that they've signed like Awuzier and Reader that ended up being bigger than what their contracts ended up uh, playing. Yeah. They ended up playing better than and their contracts. And that's why they've been very good. Right. And they, they need to do the same in the draft. They need to hit on some of these day three guys, and they just haven't done so. They had plenty of opportunities to do so, um, like the Dewan Joneses of the world, but they just seem to, to really struggle in finding those, those hidden gems. So if it were up to you, if it were up to you, would you keep T. Higgins or would you trade T. Higgins? I, what is your? What do you think I, your philosophy? I is? just want them to go one way or the other. You don't like, and what I mean by that is, 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 is now this is where people are going to make like, you know, again, clip this up and make fun. But it, it would, it's, it's, it's something to think about. If this, if this, I'm just throwing it, and I get, I get it before you even say it that this is probably very unrealistic. But if I'm in the camp that I'm not going to be able to – T. Higgins is in a spot to where he is being unrealistic for the amount of money that he's asking for, or at least to, to, to the franchise, it's unrealistic. Like, it's not something that we're going to entertain. Now, you got to figure out pretty quickly if that's just a bluff on T. Higgins' part and their camp of whether or not that's what they actually believe that they want or if it's just something that they can try to like, hey, all right, T., that's, that's cute, but like, let's be realistic. Can we, can we actually have serious conversations? And if there's not serious conversations – then at that point, you have two decisions, quite honestly, that you make. One is, you franchise tag him, you know you only got one year left, and as goofy as this sounds, I'm looking at the draft capital that I have available to me, and I'm asking, I'm going out and I'm asking some other crazy questions out there in the league to see if I can't build a superstar, unbelievable roster for one year. One run in the sun. Yeah. And that, people don't like to hear like, oh, going all in or whatever. I'm not saying even it means that you're handicapping the future of the franchise, but I'm saying I'm willing to give up a first round pick and whatever else it might take if Justin Jefferson's available for one year. Yes, I am. Because at the end of it all, you can make fun of it. It doesn't matter if you win the Super Bowl. It doesn't matter. We can sit around here and say whatever you want, but I know for a fact that 99 out of 100 Bengals fans would trade one Super Bowl next year for being in misery for the next seven. That is 100% fact. Now, does it, does it mean that if you get Justin Jefferson, then you automatically win a Super Bowl? No. But I do know this. Your kids, your grandkids, and the kids from, from wherever, you know, 20 years from now, will hear about the year that Cincinnati Bengals had T. Higgins, Justin Jefferson, and Jamar Chase on the same team with Joe Burrow. That's a fact. Yeah. Now, that might sound unrealistic. It might, it might seem like that's like video game stuff. But that's where I would be at if I was in the Bengals front office. It's like, okay, if I can't extend some of these guys and I think that I can genuinely win, like now, then I'm willing to give up a first-round pick this year to go out and try to, to try to make it to where we have the best roster, may, maybe offensively of all time. Right. I'm, I'm with you on that. If they, like, here's my uh, scenarios, right? Either they ta like tag T like they've done, and trade him to get more draft capital for the future, which is one philosophy. Or 
you tag him and you find a way to work out a contract, which is very low likely chance. The other option to me is truly going all in. And yes, the Justin Jefferson talk is a little, I'll pick someone different. You could easily get a guy like Khalil Mack who the chargers need to get money off their, off their cap space. Would you like him with Trey Hendrickson? Hell yeah, you would. And you could probably get him for a third round pick. You go all in on this. You have the cap space to go get guys that need to come off of teams. There's opportunities, right? I'm not saying like it's Cleo Mack or Justin Jefferson, but they should go. If they're going to do this, if they're going to sign T to this franchise tag and let them walk next year, you better be willing to go all in. And, and that, that's an all-in move. If that report is somewhat true, and the report came out this weekend, and again, I don't know what the, the credibility of this report is, but basically the Vikings are going to be willing to trade Justin Jefferson if the if the contract and they should be the contract negotiation. They goes should be. South. Why would the Vikings want to why would the Vikings want to extend a guy that plays a position in which they don't know the they don't know the prerequisite to the to, to the position being successful? Yeah. I mean, we can all agree that you can have an unbelievable wide receiver, but if you don't have a quarterback to throw in the ball, they'd become relatively useless. Or at least from a standpoint of making your team super successful to where you can win a Super Bowl useless. Devontae Adams is widely regarded as the best receiver in the league, and yes, he's had some great he's had a great year or whatever, but I don't I don't look at the Raiders and think to myself immediately, wow, they got they got maybe the best receiver in the league. Let's watch out for them. Now, if you pair him up with one of one of the elite quarterbacks in the NFL, then that changes things. Yes. But why wouldn't why wouldn't the Vikings want to move off of Justin Jefferson? Like they should want to do that. So what you're trying to do is you're trying to you're trying to use the 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 disadvantage or the leverage against the Vikings that they know they got to do something to your advantage, and you're offering them, hey, you're offering them draft capital that they think that they need to rebuild the roster. It It's simply a uh, it's simply a risk-reward situation in the NFL that comes down to how much are you willing to spend on keeping guys that you drafted and or going out and getting someone that other people don't value as much as you do, which is what free agency ultimately is, unless you find somebody that wants to sign with a team for less money, which rarely if ever happens so if you go into free agency and you dip into that pool and you go find guys more times than not you're valuing somebody more than everyone else in the league you're willing to pay them more than anyone else in the league is willing to pay them at that position now there's some times where to be fair they're not all not all teams in the nfl have the ability to go out and sign every single player because of their cap space limits and also their needs for their team but it just it's just a situation where in this all this 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 take that I have what's funny about it is that you could argue that people are going to say that it worked out or didn't work out based off of a decision that has nothing to do with Justin Jefferson as well. Like if the Bengals were to go out and they and they hit a a home run on the first rounder. They get they get a Micah Parsons in the first round this year. Everyone's going to make fun about how the fact that you would have traded that pick for a wide receiver or something yep. along those. The, but again, the crazy thing is, is if off the top of my head right now, I can't even. Miles, what's the kid's name? He wasn't out on the field enough for me to Miles even know. Murphy. Miles Murphy. Like, if if I told you Miles, you you just got to part ways with Miles Murphy. I mean, everybody be jumping for joy. So it just comes down to what you hit on, and yes. 
uh, it, it's a, it's a, it's certainly a hindsight type situation, but it's interesting to talk about. It's, it's interesting to figure out. You're going to get to at least see what their, what their philosophy is. I don't think that they're going to trade him. And some of it's just the history of the Bengals. The Bengals have never really been a team that, that kind of does stuff like that. Yeah. They don't do. I was looking unique at unique things. I was it's looking very at. cut and dry. And I don't know if that's the right thing or the wrong thing. I'm not suggesting it's a bad thing, but I, I like, guess it's just like it's too unfathomable to think that the Bengals are going to be the team that would go out and trade a first-round pick to get to get a high-end top player that's available on the market. Like Reed put in the chat that he, he doesn't want to go all in. I don't I don't understand that logic. It's first of all it's the NFL where it pretty much I, I mean it, outside of the Lions and, and maybe I, I'm just trying to think the Panthers. Usually you're competitive every season. Usually. And if you're not competitive for a, a one to two year run, you're certainly competitive that third year. So I don't know what you're really losing out on uh, if you go quote unquote all in. You have Joe Burrow. So you're, you're already half of the way there. The other half is getting a roster that's good enough to, to, to be with Joe Burrow. And if you go all in like the Rams did in 20, what was that? 2021 against us. And it works. It pays off. And Trace is 100% correct. That if we won a Super Bowl, the Bengals, if the Bengals won a Super Bowl, I would be happy with it. I, everybody in the world would be happy with it. And that includes if they were bad for the next five to seven years. And let's be – I don't – like it's – you win a Super well, – the, the last the, point I would make to you two too is like – and this is the part where like I – the Bengals value these draft picks in the third through the sixth rounds. They, they don't want to utilize those to package a deal together to try to get – to go get somebody. Yet they don't ever hit on these picks. No, no. So it's like if you're not going to trade them because you value them so much, then what? Then what in the hell that that, that makes you feel as if what you've been doing is going to change? McPherson was a great pick. So I'll be honest. Yeah, if you're going to go kick and get another yeah, kicker I mean, in the fifth round, but outside of that, you're you're literally holding these things that you deem as super valuable, yet they've never yielded anything in return. It's like they keep buying the same stock. Yeah. Over and over again, every paycheck, they're like, let's put a let's put a little more money in this stock. And the stock just keeps going down and down and down. It's like, at some point, maybe we, we should change our philosophy a little bit on that. And, this, and, and the idea that I have with, 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 again, the Jefferson situation is it just it, it all obviously depends on what you can get. But why does it set you back? The question I have is, why does it set you back three, four, five years if you... If you miss on a first round pick, like if you give up a first round pick to go get a guy, you, that's gonna you you've 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 missed already on a few of them, and it hasn't set you back. I agree with you. Yeah. I think too to your point, Elliot, about going all in. It doesn't even really mean that you're setting yourself back for years. The Rams, the only reason why they were bad the the year after the Super Bowl is because of Stafford's injury. Injuries, yep. And last year. They went to the playoffs. They were competitive. They were still a good team. And they hit on day three picks like Kyron Williams, like Puka Nakua, and they were still good. That's what it takes to be good in the NFL. Yeah, the Rams, the Rams are still pretty damn good. They're, they're, after, they're very after, good. After, after everybody sat here and wanted to convince everybody that the Rams were being crazy and they went and got all these guys, and then all of a sudden the Rams look around and they're like, I don't know, we don't care. I mean, so what? I mean, yeah, I'm glad to see that the Vikings are trying to be. Uh, the, I'm, I'm glad to see the Vikings are trying to be very frugal and make sure that they don't do anything. But the Vikings are nobodies. 
it's, like all these teams are nobodies. It's not the same thing where if the Reds want to go quote unquote all in, it's nowhere near the same thing. There's a competitive balance in the NFL. Everybody knows that. Everybody's aware of it. So I don't think going all in hurts the franchise at all, especially especially if you have a quarterback that's here for the next whatever X amount of years, uh, yeah. an elite elite level quarterback. So I agree with Trace. Uh, I, I think it's nonsense to, to be against the all-in method. Well, I uh, think some of it is that it, since you have this guy that's here long-term, and that's the other thing that's crazy, is we say long-term, but off the top of my head, Joe's, Joe's contract's done when? 2020. It's like maybe, nine or yeah, 30? Yeah, 2029 or 2030 maybe. I know it was a well, seven-year I mean, deal this when This sounds crazy, but I mean, that's not, that's not forever either. So you do have like this situation where, again, it just—I know it sounds wild, but I would be all, and I—I get it's very Madden-esque. I understand that it's very video game-esque because because it's so unbelievable to have this many guys on the roster that are that good, that elite on the team. It seems like it 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 shouldn't even be possible to to happen. If I told you that Jamar Chase. Arguably the best receiver in the league. And if you want to say he's not the best receiver in the league, there's only t- only there's only two other names that you could you could come up with to, to have yeah. a, even a semi-argument with. One of them is Tyreek Hill. Fair enough. Okay, he's up the mic. The other one's Justin Jefferson. So the idea that you're gonna have two of the three best receivers in the entire game of football, and oh by the way, we still got a guy that's valued as a number one pick. That cha- it just changes the dynamic. I guess my point is, and this is a really terrible analogy perhaps because it's, it's tr- crossing over sports, but it's like if there were more than one Steph Curry in the NBA, would you be willing to give up Klay Thompson and somebody else that's a starter on, the, on, the, on the, uh, the Warriors to go get another Steph Curry? The answer is yeah, because if you got two of them, it almost seems impossible to guard. Correct. If you have those three guys, and again, I know this is crazy, stupid sports talk here on February 26th, but the idea that everybody scoffs when I mention Justin Jefferson's on the market, just go get him. Just go get him. No, Am I saying trade all seven picks away to get Justin Jefferson for one year? No. But I'd be the highest offer. I'd be the highest offer. You tell me, I would call the general manager of the Vikings, and I'd say, I'll tell you what, you do me a favor. We have a deal. I'll give you 30 days to call around. You find the best deal. You call me back. You let me know what they're doing. I'll cross-check it, by the way. We're not going to get, we're not gonna get uh, fleeced here. I'm going to call that general manager and ask them, hey, are you interested in this guy? And if he says yes, then, then I'll take you at your word. But you can't just call me back with some made-up deal. Point is, I'll give you the best deal. And it's not going to include any of the guys that, that, that obviously that are a part of our team that are going to help us win. And I don't see in any scenario, quite frankly, how you would guard that. If you have a relatively competent coach, of course. And and, and I know people are going to make fun of that. (laughs) I know people make fun of that, but, but sincerely, if you've watched, if you've watched the NFL as a whole and you've seen Justin Jefferson play, Justin Jefferson is a cheat code in and of itself. In fact, he was a cheat code in the playoff game. They, Cousins at one point was just throwing the ball up to Justin Jefferson with three guys on him, and he would bring it down every single time. Could you imagine a scenario, throwing it out there, to where you line up four wide, 
and you and you, you can't possibly you don't have enough guys on the field to double team either any of the. In fact, it would probably more than likely happen where you'd have one on one coverage of the two of the three. It 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 would seem like a cheat code. And again, if you're telling me I only get that for one year, I don't care. I'd do it because I think you can win a Super Bowl. Do you, do you think the Vikings would would consider a trade T Higgins in a first for Jefferson? I think they'd do a first and like a, a first and like a fifth round or something like that. I think it would take like no, I think they, it would take they, like a first and a second. They, first and a first, maybe two firsts. It, yeah, it's gonna. Tyree Kill was like two firsts and a fifth or something. But like there, that. That, but there was also there was uh, there was also some control that came with him. Like it was a sign and trade or yeah, trade and sign type thing with Tyreek. So I I don't know. Jeff, I mean, Jefferson's on the last year of his. That's my point. There's not so. a lot of leverage here from the Vikings unless unless they can find someone else that gives them a better deal and, and they and they get a I, I would what, give I up more saying. if I knew that I needed him long term. But if I'm the Bengals and I think the Vikings can't find a good deal, my point or a long term deal with somebody, I, I just don't see the Vikings having that much leverage. I see what you're saying. It's almost the same thing with T because hundred percent the same. The same it's spot it's with very T. similar with T, except you have the best, arguably the best receiver in the game. <laughs> but you're right. Yes, it's an interesting situation the Bengals find themselves in. It's, if anything else, it's fun. I don't know. I don't know if there's a right way to go about it or a wrong way. I just want them to make sure that they pick one side. Yeah. Like if they if they decide, point my point is the final round this out. If they decide they want to keep T, cool. That's fine. But then you need to have a pretty strong push to make it to where you 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 could all agree that this team is one of the only what two or three teams in the league that should win the Super Bowl. Right, I agree. With if that. you don't keep T and you trade him away, then I understand. It's like okay, then we're going to try to reload and we're going to try to find more draft picks and we're going to try to hit on those picks and be better long term. But I put them quotations because. That's pretty hard to do in the NFL. They can't afford to do the Jesse Bates thing over again. Simple as that. Yeah. We'll see. All right. Um, we have a court storming situation now. We do. Where we have uh, a lot of grown a lot of grown folks that are screaming and yelling about how these young kids, they need to get off the floor. They're hurting all the players. And now you have, uh, you have a situation where is court storming going to go away for good? Should it go away for good? For those that didn't see, uh, we'll run a clip here uh, of the Wake Forest incident with Duke over the weekend. Kyle Flapowski, in a unique situation where you can't really blame him. I know what you're going to say, Elliot. He kind of looked like he was going for the shove yeah, slash he trip. He did look like he was going for a push. What about the trip? Play this one more time. I, I want you to see... I don't know if you can see it, but look right. at the. It looks like a. It there, looks. It yeah. looks. It looks more or less like. Eh, maybe not. I take that back. In real time, it doesn't look like that. Yeah, you could take it. And, and you know what? Anybody can take a picture and make it look like there was some perception of of somebody trying to trip somebody or whatever may happen. But here's the thing with the court storming. This is the nuts and bolts of it all. You certainly don't want guys that are playing in a game getting hurt from people on the outside that are trying to, for lack of a better term, party in the middle of the floor. However, there is something that is, I don't want to say nostalgic, that's not the right word to use, but there is something 
that is fun about a court storming? How do you find a world where both can exist? I don't know if it's possible. It certainly seems as if now we're in a, we're we're in the side. We'll make it our we'll make it our chat poll question of the day. Should court storming be banned? I think it can get banned like that. Relatively simple. I know me and Elliot uh, Elliot was kind of saying, "How do you stop them? How do you stop them?" Well, you stop them from making some obscene fine. Some you, you know you start basically arresting anybody that goes on the floor and yeah if you have everybody that does it then certainly without question it's going to be a lot harder to enforce those rules but when you start enforcing it on the select few that you can get your hands on then it becomes a little less enticing for the student and themselves to run around the floor because they think they might be they might have the chance of getting this crazy fine and getting in trouble for it it all comes down to player injury uh, if you did not see it there's these comments um, by John Shire in this post-game press conference about court storming. Here's what he had to say, and we'll get into the we'll get into it uh, right after this. Disappointed we lost, uh, but look for me, it's I'm more concerned about the the well-being of our guys. You know, Flip sprains his ankle. When are we going to ban court storming? Like, when are we going to ban that? Like, how many times does a player have to get into something? where they get punched or they get pushed or they get taunted right in their face. And it, it's a dangerous thing. And I don't want that to take away from the game that Wake played. Because Wake played a big time game. Salas was as good as could be today. And, and hats off to them. But you look around the country and Caitlin Clark, something happens. And now Flip, I don't know what his status is gonna be. He sprains his ankle. And it's one thing, like when I played, at least it was 10 seconds in the court, you know, you would storm the court. Now it's the buzzer doesn't even go off and they're, they're running on the floor. And this has happened to us a bunch this year. Um, it's part of it. I don't want this to take away at all from Wake. They earned it. They deserve the win. Steve is a hell of a coach. I respect the heck out of him and his team. They're, they're really good. And if this is an example that they need to be in the tournament, what are we even talking about? So All right, so there's no doubt that some of the things that he said has very, very valid um, merit. And one of those is, is that there's got to be a timing element to this. If we're going to continue to do the court storming in the future, I'm all for it. The only issue that I have is that the buzzer got a sound. Can't be, it can't be like two-tenths of a second left. The next thing you know, it's, it's a mad dash on the court. And the other thing is like some of this has to go on the onus of the of, of, of the facility maintenance or whatever term you'd like to use facility security on setting up some kind of structure that knows that this is a possibility. This doesn't this doesn't exist every single game of the regular season. This only happens a handful of times. And you know what games there's a there's an opportunity of this happening for. Certainly Duke's a, a of program that doesn't lose a whole lot on the road is certainly within that league for a long, long period of time. And therefore you have a program that has not had a lot of success in basketball for quite some time. There's your recipe right there. But it seems like we can have the best of both worlds. And I don't know, would it take away Elliot? If we just said, Hey, you're allowed to storm the court. No problem. You got 10 seconds. And the other part of this that I want to say is I would venture to suggest that if the game's out of the, out of hand to where you know you're going to get beat 
and there's whatever, how many seconds left, at what point do the coaches start to have this, the unwritten rules of calling a timeout and allowing, essentially allowing them to get themselves out of the way? And what I mean by that is if you know, hey, we're getting ready to beat Duke, there's 15 seconds left. Now, a buzzer beater, you can't do this. But my point is if it, you're down by 10 or down by 8 and there's 20 seconds left and they're walking the ball off the floor, you call a quick timeout, you sub the guys out, all the players are standing on the sideline, you inbound the ball and you stand there for 10 seconds, boom, that's the end of it. You storm the courts. The players obviously get protected and they walk off the floor. Now, I got to say, we've talked a lot about all this. And the easiest solution that there is, Elliot, is the, is the one that you don't want, which is just make it to where you don't do it. It won't happen, though. And that's, and that's my point. You, you, you and I were talking about this outside of, the, uh, outside of the studio today. I don't think there's really a world where it happens. I think you can certainly do something where uh, you get a, you, you know what? If your team doesn't get to make the tournament this year if you storm the court. And you can issue stuff like that. I'd argue that schools would obviously push against it because what school can really stop a bunch of drunk college kids after you beat Duke? And I get John Shire's point too because when you're Duke and you're top 10, top 15 every year, every single team that beats you on their home floor is going to storm the court pretty much no matter what. Uh, so I get the frustration with him personally uh, being a blue blood and having to deal with court stormings all year long anytime you lose on the road. But – I think court storming, like you talk about what's going, what's what's happened in, in college sports over the past couple of years here with NIL and all this stuff, and how it's becoming like a semi-professional thing and and yada yada yada. I think court storming does somewhat keep that magic in college sports. I think it's fun. I think 99.9% of times nobody gets hurt like like what just happened here. I think if you're gonna do what they did and and injure a player, that's when fines should happen. That's when serious repercussions should be, should be issued, handed out. But it, that doesn't happen every time. I, I think there will be cases going forward where, like what you said, they're going to call timeouts, and the last five seconds of the game is just going to be uh, dribbling out the clock with nobody on the court. I think that's coming. I, I think, uh, and again, the ACC not having a, a set fine for, like every other league, I'm pretty sure, most of them, out of the power schools, whatever, X, power seven schools, whatever there is in college basketball, out, out, out of all those schools, uh, a, the ACC, the, that's the only conference that doesn't issue fines for any court storming whatsoever. Big Ten, I think, issues a, a $100,000 fine after the third court storming. There's, there's different weird uh, nuances amongst college basketball, but... Saying all that, you're not going to be able to stop a bunch of drunk college kids. The only way to do it is, and I don't think there's a fine that does it. If you say, we're going to fine your school a million dollars, what's a college kid going to care about their school getting fined? The only Nobody. thing Nobody. that would do is it would, the only thing that the, the fines will do is it will not make an impact maybe so much on the student as it will the school. So if you tell the school they're going to get fined a million dollars, guess what? They're going to have something to protect that million dollars. There's going to be a lot of security guards. There's going to be a lot of people that make sure that no matter who you are, you're not getting you're not getting to the court at least on their on their on their attempt or their watch. But now, I think I but that's where I disagree. That's where I think I don't think you would have to have legitimately an army of security guards standing by by the court to stop it. That and that I don't think that's going to that's that's going to happen ever. Because who's going to who's going to pay all those police officers? Who's going to pay all those security guards to stop a court storming which is harmless a majority of the time? And I don't think I don't think there's a way you can do it. The only way you can do it is if you if is if you issue 
a, a tournament ban or a, a one-year suspension from the tournament. As, as uh, uh, something really serious like that where the fans get affected by it too. Because again, nobody cares about a fine. Nobody cares about the cop if everybody is rushing onto the court at the same time. I, I think they can 100% stop it. If they, if they, if they truly wanted so. to stop it, they can so. stop it. I, I mean, well... How are you stop? You you legit need an army of police officers. You need an army. Well, then they'd get an army. I mean, it would. It, you could you could stop it. Put it this way: the reason that it looks as if it's so difficult to stop now is because it's not it's not frowned upon. It's not a, it's not an illegal thing to do. But you it, can but say it, whatever but, you want. But I, you can say whatever you want. You might have a couple crazy drunk college kids that think you know what I'm doing it anyways. You you line the court up with some some sheriffs, and I got news for you: the the freshman you know, girl that decided she wanted to come to the game or the freshman guy that's just hanging out because he's not, you know, it's just Dukes in town. They see those sheriffs, they're not running on the floor. There might be a few that try, but again, it comes down to how many can you handle, how many can you stop. The simplest, most easy thing to do would be, in my opinion, is to try to make it as like it's a part of something that you're doing as a part of the school. Like, hey, we're going to storm the court and there's a, some kind of countdown. And then, therefore, you give yourself maybe 25 to 30 seconds after the after the court uh, or after the game ends to where you, you can get yourself in a position where you can kind of barricade the players. That's what this comes down to. you got to barricade the players. If you don't give the players enough time to at least just get to the sideline, then there you go. Kansas State has done this relatively well because they were a team that had an issue with, with storming the court. And Kansas State's uh, facility team, or whatever, I guess their their security, they would they have ropes, so they would run they would run with the rope down the down the basically the middle of the court, and as soon as the players got to one side of the rope, they basically just kind of pushed them into the line, and then therefore the players were not as a, not in part of the whole entire madness. It is it, it only takes one time, Elliot, before the idea of court storming is a real problem. And trust me, if you see, put it this way, if you see, for instance, was a top two seed in the tournament, and all of a sudden somebody got injured from a UC perspective, you would be, you'd be pissed. So I'm just trying to put you on the other side of the aisle here. Let me ask you this, because they have, by the way, I, I mentioned the ACC doesn't have fines. A lot of the other conferences do have fines. SEC, if you're court storming, yes. they're fining your school $100,000. Right. Is that not incentive enough for the school to stop it or want to stop it? $100,000 fine. And at the second time they do it, it's 250000 Is that not enough? It is enough. Then why don't they stop it? And the answer is because they can't. You literally can't do it. You can't I knew stop that was going to be your pushback. I see where you're going with that. But how many times have it, has that happened in, in the SEC? We'll have to do some digging. Is that for football or for basketball? For, for both. And by the way, it ha and that's the craziest thing. It happens in football too. Mr. Mo brought up the point. They court storm in football. They field storm in football. I don't, again, they goalpost I, away. <laughs> they and then, yeah, that's they 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 vandalize the school, take the goalpost out into the creek, and throw it in there. I, it might it might be worse in football. I there's this discussion will happen every single time. There's a rare instance where one player on the opposing team gets hit by a fan that's storming on the court, and that's wrong. It's 100% wrong. But I don't see a, a reasonable way to stop it unless the fans are somehow punished along with the school. That they care. And I don't think there's, I don't think you can do it. I don't think uh, uh, the governing body that is the NCAA can convince the, 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 the conferences, the schools, it seems like that, you're, a... that you're going to get a tournament ban. 
for, for doing it. It's not going to happen. So the court storming is never going to be stopped. You don't think if they said that as the university, if they came out and they said there was a public announcement at the university that said for every student that storms the court, it's going to be a, it's going to be a, a call it a $5,000 personal fine to your student bill. If, How are you going to catch them? How are you going to catch them? I mean, there's there's, a, there's 200 kids that rush the court. Face, How are you stopping? Face them? recognition, man. There's face the, recognition. I mean, you don't think cameras could could they're could not, They're not doing a January six on these Trace, college kids. They don't. They do not care this much, and that's they my don't. point. If they wanted to stop it, they could. Is what I'm saying. That's sure, my point. Sure, you sure you can line up an army down by the sideline, and you could stop it if you want. But guess what? It will never, ever, ever happen anytime ever. I think the bigger I, reason as to why schools don't care is because they 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 also it's a good look for it's a good look for the student body and it's a good look for all one hundred percent it's it's a marketing tactic. More than anything. One hundred percent of it. But if they wanted to stop it, they could stop it. And again, I uh, there there's a couple schools, Kentucky, Duke, North Carolina, uh, Villanova, there's a couple blue bloods out there. That when, when this happens to you, I get their frustration 100% of the time. But to everybody else in co collegiate basketball, there's like 350 teams that aren't Blue Bloods. For those schools, it's fun. It brings back the college, uh, whatever you want to call it, uh, nostalgia. I think there's a magic to college sports. Nothing more magical than a court storming. It won't happen in NBA or in NFL games. But in college games, it happens and it's fun. Casey, I sent you a clip of Tom Izzo. Tom Izzo weighed in on it, and he laughed because it's funny. It's something. It, it's nonsense to try to ban it because I, it, it's part of the fun. And uh, do we have the clip? Sorry, I, I wanted to pull this up. Oh, you're good. Go ahead. I, I wanted to show a little example of what would happen. Yeah, here's the security. Oh, Casey, please show this. this so, is the, so you're going to suggest security. You're going to suggest to me. Security that you're <laughs> This is the security that Trace. <laughs> I mean, look at him. Just take it out, chick. You're like, oh, come on. You're gonna suggest to me. First of all, it's a it's a lost cause. <laughs> this is Trace's army. This is what he wants to stop it. Oh, Casey, that was so good. <laughs> No, now listen. For those that are listening to the podcast form, no, Play no, Casey, don't do it again. No. Uh, the truth is, is that's oh, not is a very good, well-executed plan. That's like showing UC's offense. <laughs> that's like showing UC's offense to a group of middle schoolers, and and then and then them thinking to themselves that it's impossible to score the basketball. This is what Trace. This is what you need. This is how you need to defend your argument. So the 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 team needs just a official police escort. If they would play. There we go. They just need a police escort. Boom! Stiff arm. Look at that. Get out of here. Oh, yeah. We'll get you out of here. That's what they need. Bodyguards. Maybe so. I mean, listen, I'm not against court storming. You definitely this are. Somehow, no, I'm not. I'm not against it. You're the one that suggested something that I wholeheartedly don't believe in, which is that if the universities wanted to stop it, they wouldn't be able to stop it anyways. That seems crazy. How are they stopping it? <laughs> they stop it the same way they stop with that they security guard it. that Casey they just showed you. Are they going to oh. stop it with that guy? That guy's not stopping anybody, Trace. And he, I'll tell you what, get 15 of those fat Trace. guys and they're still not going to be able to stop them. Trace, you know 100% that they can't because you have actually dealt with police at the Bearcat Bash. Those guys are not stopping yeah, that's a true. whole drunk a fan point. base. They're not. What a point. They're not.
You can't you do know. it. You and know. even if you could do it, how bad of a, how bad of a look is it to have an army, legit 50, because that's what it would take, maybe more, maybe more, maybe 75 police officers, 75 police officers down on the court trying to stop a bunch of kids having fun. That's what that's what we're really doing. Those for officers had a family. Egg, for the one bad egg that took a that took a stiff arm from Filipowski, <laughs> that one kid is now is now the is now the subject of this whole conversation. Do we have the clip from Izzo real quick, Casey? If that's okay. Where'd you send it to? Uh, I DM'd it. It should be up a little bit. Up a little bit. Right. Maybe Tom Izzo. Right Tom right Izzo right. is in support of this, or is he? He, is he laughed at the. No, he laughed at the notion that you should ban court storming. And here's and here's the. We won't play the whole clip, but we'll play some of the clip. Well, you got to give him a second well, I, to get I there. I mean, that was my bad. I said it, I was a really good setup if it was ready, but that's my bad. I should have known better. All right, go Here's ahead. Media world, which you love, and in the national broadcasting talk shows, there are suggestions, silly as they may be, that we should do away with the handshake line now. Oh, my God. You, have you heard that? Oh, my God, I have. And I do got to comment on that since that's not insulting to anybody. That, to me would be the biggest farce, joke, ridiculous nature of anything I've ever heard of. We've already taught these poor 18-year-olds that when, when you know, you're told to go to class and you don't like it, you can leave. We've already told these kids, if you're not happy, you can do something else. We've already told these kids that it's hard to hold them accountable, and now we're going to tell them to not man up and walk down a line on someone who's kicked your butt and have enough class to shake their hand is utterly ridiculous. So if the president said it, I think he's full of it. If the best coach in America said it, I think that gets me way more than this incident because we're already teaching these kids nothing and then we're going to do something like that. I mean, I'm going to tell you something. In the last three games, Trace Jackson recruited him hard. I don't like his dad. I love his dad. Great, great guy. I mean, I went down and congratulated him. I told him that it's been glad he stayed another year. It's been fun to have him in the league. Frazier, I said to him in the line, you know, a lot of people get credit on your team, but what you did today defensively, running your team, not taking a shot forever, I said, am I happy for the league that you came back? Now I said... All right, so so, so Elliot uh, wants, to pull a pull, wants to pull a clip to, to, to try to booster, uh, boost his argument here, bolster his claims of, of there shouldn't be court storming. And what does he provide? He provides a clip and a video of Izzo talking about handshake lines. The point has the, nothing to do with court storming point, at all. I mean, when I tell you it has nothing to point, do with court storming, it simply has 0.0% to do with court storming. What it has to do with is some guy believing that you should be respectful in going down a handshake line and shaking the other player's hands and not skipping out on that because that's what had happened during one of the games in which there was some there was some beef on both sides of the aisle. So they decided, you know what, we're not even going to shake each other's hands. Now, I don't know whether you believe in handshake line or not. 
that wasn't the argument that was that we had here. So you just the just point, just the, the I point. just want to put it on record, Your Honor, that that clip that was shown has absolutely nothing to do with storming the court. Well, well, Go ahead, have, Elliot. I, I, I yield my time to you. Uh huh. Would there have been any court storming conversation in that clip? Yeah, there that, was. No, there was Towards not. Towards the end. Towards the end. We didn't get to the clip. <laughs> you want to run back the clip? It was a four-minute clip. You want to run back the clip? That's not a clip. That's a whole video. The point is, It's again, a movie. You can try to stop it. It's Featured not film. It's, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. That's the <laughs> point. I'm with you, Elliot, but man, that was a bad <laughs> clip to show. That was a great <laughs> clip. Could you do me one last favor as we segue off of this topic? It's not, you can clearly tell there's not a whole lot of hard-hitting sports going on in the world right now. No, there's great. But FCC, they tied Now, now listen, now listen. Come one on. thing before we segue off this. Can you pull up the clip of my man doing a hell of a job in the end zone? Trying to, trying to make sure that he was protected in their house. Can you pull that Which back guy? up for I'm, me, I'm, please? I'm pulling it up. I'm pulling it All up. All right, thank you. My favorite part of this is, is the guy swung and missed on like four or five guys. But then he finally, pause it here, pause it, pause it, please pause it. Now, I'm going to set you up here really quickly, folks. This is, this is exactly like the, the kid that you find at the playground that's not very good at the sport. So he, so he, so he gets picked on all the time, or he's never, he, never can, he can never really be successful. But then he finally has somebody that comes and plays. It's their first time playing, or perhaps maybe it's someone that's like three classes, three grades younger than them. And he just starts going to town on them. I mean, dunking on top of them, posterizing them. Watch this poor girl that comes out here, right, right here, Boom. just a, just, <laughs> just a shiver to the neck. Because he had to pick on somebody. He couldn't get anyone that was semi-athletic. <laughs> Anybody that's semi-athletic is just going right around my man. But he just has the audacity to say, oh, I see her. Boom! You think 50 of those guys? Now that guy, that guy should be embarrassed. You think, you think 50 of those guys can stop a court storming? Be honest. No. You think 50 I, of them? I, I'll tell you this right now. You give me, you give me, you give me, you give me seven days. And I can tell you right now, I'll have 30 people that are, that are all better than that guy lined Maybe. up on the side of the court if Maybe. you needed it, if you needed it. So are you pro or anti-court storming? I'm pro court, storm, pro court storming. It's just that we have to have some boundaries. There needs, to be, there needs to be some kind of countdown on the Jumbotron or something in the arena that says that, you know, basically, you know, 10, 9. They could come up with a cool little video to make it feel like it's a big deal. I, that's, they that's could fair. do that. And they also could do a better job of, of barricading the players. You just can't let kids run on the floor that quickly. The, the, the horn sounds, what Shire said was true. When the horn sounds, you can't, you can't have people running on the floor like basically instantaneously. That just can't happen. So I am for court storming, but there needs to be some guidelines around it. I just got caught up. I got to be honest. I got caught up into the weeds with you saying they can't stop it. That just seems wild to me that you, you think that a million-dollar operation university. Sure, Trace, If they let me, wanted let me to stop my take. Let me clarify my take. Let me clarify my take. Stop sure, it. let me clarify my take. You can get an army with 100 security officers armed, armed with guns, line them up down by the baseline, and threaten to shoot anybody who walks across the line. That's what you can do. And you can stop them. You can stop them. So I, I agree with you. You can absolutely stop. The issue is nobody in their right mind is going to do it. Nobody. 
So why are we doing it? So why, are we, why do we even have to talk about it? One bad egg ran into Filipowski, who you could argue Filipowski was trying to shove, whether or not he was right in doing so or wrong doing so, probably in the right. But I'm just saying it's preposterous. Fair enough. Uh, Fred wants us to look up what Jay Billis said about it. I would do that on any other day, but we spent way too long talking about court stormings already. And Jay Billis, I used to love Jay Billis, and Jay Billis has gotten to a point now where it just seems like all he ever does is complain. He like complains about the refereeing. He complains about how long it takes uh, for, a, for a video review at, at the end of a game. Um, I don't know. Jay Billis is, uh, for a guy that I used to love, he's kind of gotten to the point now where he just, I don't know. I don't know if he's overstayed his welcome from my perspective on me having to watch games with him being a part of them. But uh, I do think he's a smart guy. I do think that he, he, he's relatively insightful. Um, I'm, I'm starting to become a little worrisome that, that uh, Kurt Herbstreet's kind of starting to go down that same path. There is something to be said that if you're a part, if you are a part of a brand like college basketball or college football for, for so long, the ego at some point probably gets to you, right? Where you start to think that you're maybe a little bit more important than you really are. I don't know if we're there yet with Herb Street, but we're getting close. He's got a great dog named Ben. We're we're getting we're getting close. Think of the um, dog. Ben. I know the the dog thing. It's it's a lot, it's a little much, isn't tired, it? Tired, yeah. It's a little tired. It's I mean, I, I think it's a little tired. It seems as if it's a, it's more of a pandering for for attention now than it was used to be just like kind of cute yeah it was like kind of like oh that's pretty cool like let's see the dog now it's like let's bring the dog right. up to the booth yeah let's give let's, him a whole let's, segment let's go let's go a little overboard with this um but hey i didn't have uh the uh herb street's dog on the agenda today so i'm glad we got to that yeah um we'll do some ads real quick let's do some ads and we'll talk about uh what the governor did to save to save college kids Right after this, <laughs> take it take it away, Casey. Yeah, the uh, future Bearcat report is brought to you by. Well, actually, we already covered the Bearcats a little bit earlier on the show. So the Bearcat report is brought to you by. Didn't Encore. really cover the Bearcats really well. Yeah. We could at the end. Yeah, we could. Whatever. Uh, I would brought say the to Bengals you. report. Yeah, because we talked about T. Higgins for yeah, like 50 did, minutes. We did talk about T. Higgins, so it is the Bengals report. Brought to you by Encore Technologies. Encore Technologies provides IT solutions for a for data center world. world with a suite of services from mobile computing to desktop to data center, supporting both centralized and work-from-home computing modules to improve efficiency and... P-R-O-D-U-C-T-I-V-I-T-Y. You can spell, unlike me. Can't spell dialed in. Uh... <laughs> yeah, the uh, dailed in. Dailed in. Um, yeah, Path Innovation begins here. Visit Encore.tech. And let me tell you about this lovely bottle of water right here. Pawnee water. Made right here in Hamilton, Ohio. Uses natural limestone filtration, unlike the artificial processing that other brands use. The result is a healthy alkaline water, and some say the best tasting water in the world. Visit Pawnee Water at P A H H N I water.com so we can buy this great tasting water it's funny i can spell pawnee but not dialed in <laughs> get your coffee from udf drink lots of pawnee water and get your technology solutions from encore uh we have box lunch later sure and um i think uh we have anything going on today well, yeah we have reds today right Red, Reds are playing today. Uh, well, I'm sure. I'm, I mean, I, I don't. I, I think so. The Reds. Do, are we doing a Reds show for every spring training game? Or I don't no? know. What their, I don't know what their deal is. I'm, I'm, I, I would think that would be crazy, but I'm sure they could do it if they wanted to. Uh, they do play today at three of five against the Mariners. I think Castillo's on the bump. 
Kirby, you, sure let, you let the chat know if uh, if they if you guys are doing something after the game today. They're not doing it for all of them. I, I, God willing, I hope they don't do it for all of them. That would be a little that's crazy. Brutal. I mean, that's just – Trace, you're not doing red, uh, Reds uh, – Chatterbox Reds after every game, are you? No. Okay. You're doing it today? There's a podcast after every game. There's, yeah, but not a live show. Correct. Gotcha. Well, the only thing we got is box lunch. I know uh, Reed, Nye, and Elliot are going to be starting Miami baseball, so we'll be um, we'll be a little a little busy here after the show hours, so we might not be able to get to a lot of your guys' conversations on Discord or on Twitter and all, all that other stuff. But uh, please just keep that in mind that we are uh, we're working hard over here. We're trying to make some money here for for the company, so we can continue to do this for you guys. That's right. Anyways, other money making businesses like gambling. Good segue. What a segue that was. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm a little concerned uh, <clears throat> for, for Elliot, you know. And the, re- the reason I'm concerned for Elliot is because we give this guy a system. We tell him if he just abides by it and he follows it and he, and he, and he uses it. It's very similar to, you know, I don't know, maybe like a Bible, right? Like one of those things where you're, if, you, if you just devote all of, you, all of what you have to it, that might make all the difference in the world for you. Maybe not, but probably so. And sure enough, we always get these texts randomly, and I and I and, I, and it hurts my heart because every time I see it, I'm like, what 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 is going on? Why why is it like this? What happened? Sure enough, uh, our our good friend uh, Spur Bear sends out a text at 9:37 in the morning, <clears throat> 9:37 in the morning of a screenshot of what appears to be two system plays. Those system plays, by the way, both hit during the day. It's about seven o'clock at night, and my man Elliot sends a text. It's just like it looks. It, it looks very, very troublesome. I think, these are, very, I think these are different days. That, you talk, you're speaking of. Okay, well, I don't think so. Actually, I think the the, the spur nope. text yesterday was different from my retirement text from the night before. Yeah. Okay. Well, regardless, my my point is is that maybe just some patience and waiting for the system to come would have been perhaps the right play, but. That's here nor there. But the reason I bring that up is because at some point <clears throat> you realize <clears throat> that no matter, <clears throat> gee, <many> Christmas, <clears throat> no matter how many safeguards you put up, like Elliot has, <clears throat> you always find yourself to where you're gonna have a, you're gonna have a, 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 basically a problem if there is a problem. And certainly the governor thought that there was a problem with college athletes being a part of prop bets. Now I know what everybody's gonna say. They're trying to protect the athlete. They're trying to protect the athlete. And that's 100% what they are trying to do. But I think that they're doing something in a little bit of a different way than what you believe. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, please. But you believe of the mindset that if you allow people to bet on the college player, that they're going to get death threats or they're going to get something along those lines. And that's why they did it. Is that what you're... Why did they do it? Is that what you believe is why they cut off prop betting for college players. I think the reasoning was when you, when you're gambling on sports, any sport really ever, but specifically for collegiate athletes, if you bet on player X to score 10 points in a game and you have significant wagers on it and you go to the bars after the game after a tough loss and your player didn't do it, that kid is more likely to receive some sort of crazy person yelling at him than there is to be a professional athlete. And, and I think they were doing it to protect the kid who's going to get yelled at at the bars after the games. 
that's who I think this was this this was in favor of. I think they were trying to do in in some sort of half-assed way trying to prote- protect uh, collegiate athletes. I don't think that was the reason why. Okay. I think the reason why they did this, and certainly maybe we can try to uh, do some digging, see if we can't maybe perhaps maybe bring somebody on to interview that was a part of this decision. And you know what? They might lie about why they actually did it. But I think it protects them from the standpoint that they don't have opportunities come their way that would be dishonorable to the game itself and also put the student-athlete in danger as a whole. What I mean by that is some type of point shaving, and by point shaving I mean just straight conspiracy of going to the kid themselves and saying, hey, you have this prop bet, you can't hit it. If you sabotage it on purpose, you get X amount of dollars. Because that seems to be way more realistic and likely of being a possibility than them trying to protect the student-athlete from getting hate mail. Because they're getting hate mail, by the way. They're getting hate mail more than likely because they lost the game, just in general. Correct. Or they get hate mail because they missed the kick to lose the game. Somehow, some some way, you're not going to protect idiots from being able to be idiots. So the only thing I could think of was maybe, just maybe, that there's this scenario or there's this concern that college kids are prone to not having a significant amount of money. You're not going to be able to do this to Kevin Durant. Good luck going to Kevin Durant and telling him, hey, you can't score 35 tonight because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slide you $100,000. Now, certainly, depending on how terrible your morals are, you could make the argument that's still possible. But my point is that it's a lot more op- opportunistic if you go to a broke college kid and you offer them some money to, to basically sabotage their, their, their uh, what would it be, their prop bet. Here's the, here's the statement from Mike DeWine. One year into sports betting in Ohio, we have seen a marketplace develop where a number of bad actors have engaged in unacceptable behavior by making threats against student-athletes in Ohio and across the country. By amending rules to focus bets on the team and away from individual athletes, I believe we can improve the marketplace in Ohio and better protect student-athletes from unnecessary and potential harmful threats. So it was, I mean, it's, uh, the, Ohio, the, the Ohio Casino Control Commission has decided to prohibit player-specific props because of uh, harassment of individual players. That is the official tagline they are giving. One, one, that's, the, that's their main reason. You could be right too, but I'm going to say this is the this is the reason that they're giving everybody else. And if this is the case, then why are we allowing gambling on any college sports ever? And I and I and I tweeted this out after after the news came out. I think Friday night. But if I'm betting on let's say Ohio State, let's say UC, let's say I'm betting on UC basketball, I and I need UC to win. Victor mm. Locken misses a layup. Why'd you pick on him? Victor Lockin misses a layup. Use someone and I, and I start tweeting out Victor Lockin, uh, all kinds of hate towards Victor Lockin. He doesn't I'm still, deserve nothing, this. Nothing changes. If I'm betting on the college team or the college player, either way, the players play on the team, and it, all the hate's going right to the player anyway. So if you are really for it, and Reed made the argument that if you're really not trying, you, I, think, I think his argument in the chat was that why you can you can do it, but uh, I, f- I forget his I forget his whole argument er- earlier today, uh, which is a tough point for me. Uh, I had it in my head before I went on this spiel. Um, 
But my point is, if you can't half-ass something like this. If you're about player safety, you're about player safety. And that means getting rid of college gambling altogether, which everybody knows you're not going to do. Come on. Like, like, there's, there are some small measures that you can take that you can try to protect folks and it, it, it still be somewhat realistic. Like, like that's the, so your argument would be the argument that you're trying to make is that they're not, you, if you're going to get, you, if you're going to do it, then go all in and make it to where you can't bet on college Correct. sports at all. Correct. That's like arguing that if you're going to go out on the roads, then, then if you know, somebody gets in a, basically a car accident, right. Then all of a sudden just shut everything down. No, it's not the same thing at all. It's not the same thing at all. It's, it's, you can stop gambling right now. You can stop it. You can stop collegiate gambling, uh, legally speaking, um, 100%. But you know they're not going to do that because there's too much money involved here. 100%. And that's without question the real truth of this. But you, you couldn't somewhat sympathize from the standpoint that if it would, if they stop that, it might help a little bit. Like something's better than nothing or you're just like of the mindset that if, if you can't do it all the way, then don't do it at all. I'm saying if you're going to do it, if you're going to do it half-assed, then don't do it at all. Correct. Because I don't think if you're going to give me the tagline that you care about players and the safety of, of collegiate athletes, then you get rid of gambling on college altogether. That's what I'm saying. And you won't do it. Because maybe I, you can make the argument collegiate athletes are taking a, 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 the brunt of the money uh, on a given sports gambling year. March Madness specifically. Everybody and their brother is gambling on March Madness. Everybody. So, I, no, I, I think this is a half-assed measure. And it does nobody anybody and it does nobody any good. I think this I don't is, think I, 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 think I, this I, is I just can't I can't I can't I can't fall in that I can't fall in that line. I think that you can do things in certain situations that will help help specific, you know, instances of being able to try to deter things. And if it might not stop everything, but it'll at least maybe help significantly. And listen, if you don't think, oh, let me the the other the other pushback I would have is that. More or less, there are there are certain ways to kind of figure out if somebody's a little more of a degenerate or not. One of them is what they bet on, right? If you're 100%. if you're betting on spring training baseball games, then you are looking for action, and you might have more of a desire and or a and again a problem is not the right word to use, right? It's a very sensitive subject, and I am very much pro gambling but like anything in life there are there are limitations to what you can do until it becomes a problem that anything anything can be addictive drinking coffee 100 percent can be an addictive thing that ultimately could end up becoming a problem if you drink too much of it alcohol has been a part of that in our society for a significant long time Alcohol, another relatively okay example of how there's boundaries around what you can and can't do with alcohol to try to protect those that like to indulge in it that are doing it responsibly. So what you're suggesting is, to a certain extent, is something that I can't get behind because ultimately our society does this on numerous amounts of subjects. To where you try to protect and you try to limit as many idiots as possible that aren't going to basically be respectful of others. But you can't just ban it for everybody because if that was the case, if one bad apple ruins the whole bunch, there would quite literally be almost nothing in our society that would work. 
So that's, again, I know it's not apples to apples comparison, but the highway has speeding limits. Not because the road can't handle a car going faster than the speed limit is to try to protect bystanders of idiots. So what the government, again, not much of a, of a guy that wants to get on the side of government, but I'm saying what the government's trying to do is they're trying to make sure that they're doing something that would somewhat be restrictive to idiots. And I would think that there's a lot more idiots, and I say that in quotations, because it doesn't mean that if you bet on a college prop player, then you're an idiot. That's not what I'm getting at. But we could also agree that if you're betting on a college prop of a small school in some random place, there's a far better chance of you being somebody that would venture out to, to, to say hurtful or threatening things than somebody betting on UC basketball tonight. Is what, I'm, is what I'm getting at. And Reed's point earlier that I was trying to say, I couldn't find the words. But basically, you know, you can't use the logic, if you can't stop it all, why do anything? That was basically his logic. And my argument is you can stop it. You can stop collegiate gambling. If you care about the health and, and well-being, you can. But by you, your definition, see, this is where you've done this two times a day with the court storming Correct. Thing. It's like saying that you, that you, you can stop almost anything. That's like you genuinely can stop almost anything. Correct. So my point is that just because you can stop gambling on college sports doesn't mean that you should do it, Bart, largely because you have another issue that you're trying to get rid of. And you're never going to get rid of it totally, but you're trying to limit it as much as possible. Drinking and driving, certainly, right? Everybody can do it. But the reason that the vast majority of us don't do that is because we've we've – as a society realize this has repercussions. It's a bad Correct. thing. So I think, again... But if yeah, we but can go back to the court storming, sure. you, you do these half-assed punishments where a $100,000 fine, and it doesn't work. If you do a half-assed punishment where you can't bet on Victor Locke and over 7.5 points and rebounds, it's not going to work. But you at can't half-ass it. But at least you can admit, though, that if you get rid of that, it definitely takes away the opportunity of him getting the direct blame because a, a player prop is 100% solely on one guy. Oh. 100%. If it's directly a player, and now I get it, if you're going to say the assists and all that, that, that obviously relies on you other know, players. I, but the, You say that you can't put it all on one player. I remember specifically, I know we were trolling Elliot, but – you and I were both like, John Newman, oh, my God. He missed his free throws there at the end. I don't remember what game it was. Texas. That, that's still going to happen. Like, one specific play is still going to get a player absolutely crushed. I think that in that logic, in that sense, I think Elliot is right. Like, there, you can't really stop a guy from getting crushed. I think it's a little half-assed to just block all props. But the, the rule was in place – not just for that, but also what Trace is saying. I think like two things can be right at once. You take care of the illegal part of it. Well, not the illegal part, but the 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 one to maybe like shave off a couple points, like not to hit a, a prop bet. Like you you get rid of that, and you also are protecting them a little bit. Like you're not gonna be able to protect them all the way, but you are somewhat curbing. Sure, you're half it. Like, 
You're half-assing. You're half-assing the yeah, problem. I mean, but by your standard, though, you're saying, okay, do you think that, like, this is where... If, my, my I point, didn't see us going in this direction today on off the bench, which is fine. This is fun. Maybe it's a more interesting conversation than us talking about somebody tagging somebody. But my, my point, point to you is, my point to you is, simply put, do you think that alcohol should be banned completely? Uh, no, it should not. So that goes directly against the point that you're trying to make now with the college athletics to a certain extent. Like there should be boundaries and there should be laws put in place when you think that it's a little excessive. It's something that you can kind of eliminate. And you're trying to you're trying you're, try, you're trying to, to rein it in a little bit, but you know you can't get rid of it every you can't get rid of all of it because the, that's where, because that's the vast majority, the vast majority of people that gamble, the vast majority of them do it responsibly. They do. It's an entertainment factor for them. I, it's no different than going to the bowling alley. I'd argue that if you really cared about something, you could you can do. I mean, like let's say alcohol. If you're really concerned about alcohol, if you really wanted to to stop drunk driving, sure you could do you could do prohibition 2.0. You could do it. Yes. If but that's my point. Like you're still half-assing it. Just because realistically it's not attainable doesn't mean you're not half-assing something. You could do it a little bit on, on a surface level to show that you care. So when somebody asks you about it, so you care about the player safety, right? Well, yeah, we just passed a law that says you can't bet on players specifically in, in college athletics. So you have the tagline if, if you're in politics. You've got, you've got the line right in front of you. My point is, I, and by the way, I'd argue that gambling on sports is vastly different from drinking alcohol. Maybe I'm wrong in that. But I, again, I, I think that if you, if you focus on just the safety of players – you can take away college sports gambling right now. Mm. You can still bet on NBA. You can still bet on NFL. You can you, bet on any professional out there. You're still amateur gonna... betting. You can you can you can prohibit amateur gambling. One hundred percent, you can. You've already but opened up not... the floodgates, though. You you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. It's impossible. It's, it's literally impossible. There's no way in the world now that you've that you've given people the opportunity to bet on college sports that they're not going to be able to bet on them anymore. And if that's the case, I got news for you. The local bookies in town, their their business would shoot up a billion percent. One hundred percent. So you're not stopping the problem. Yeah, you, correct. You can only I, that's my point. It, you're not going to stop the problem. So you're saying so they why should, half-ass it? So you're saying okay, just to be clear, I figured out where your where your take is on this after after a little while. You're basically stating to us now that. If you can't go all the way, then don't do it at all. You should. They, they should. They should keep the sports. They should keep the prop betting available Correct. for college players. Correct. Yeah. And again, I understand why they did what they did. I get it. Truly, I, I think there was that story in Dayton this past year where kids were getting threatened on their on their basketball team. I get it. But people are going to gamble on this no matter what you do. And if yeah. you're not going to come out outwardly and say no more collegiate gambling, no more, no more of that. Then what have we really accomplished here? Because kids are still going to get threatened when some drunk fifty-year-old bets on Ohio State money line and their kicker shanks a kick left. I mean, they're still going to get mad even if they didn't have money on the game. They're still going to get harassed online. They were getting they... death threats. These kickers and these players were getting death threats before gambling was even a thing. Right. Like you have crazy people that are people that. So we all kind of agree on. <laughs> yeah, on I mean, the... we all agree that it's not right that these guys are getting that these guys are getting death threats. But I do think that to, to your point, the reason that it that it ended up happening in the first place, Elliot, was because that now the blood's not on their hands, if you want to call it that, from a government standpoint. So if there sure. were something crazy that were to happen with a college player, 
And it was largely based off the fact that whatever happened to the college player was deemed to be because of the prop bet. Now the government in the, in the state of Ohio can clearly say, hey, we did our best to try to make sure that this wasn't something that was possible. All right. Mouse Cop, by the way, Mouse Cop says, and I think it's a fair point, college kids are now open to criticism because of NIL. Not to the extent where you're threatening people, but I think that is somewhat fair. When you're, when you're signing a check or cashing checks for a million five to play college sports, I do think that you're somewhat now in, in the bed of, of criticism. I think that they've always, to be clear, I think that they have always been subjective to where fair criticism. Fair criticism. And I think that they will forever not be, they should not be subjected to unfair criticism. And I know that's not a crazy take, but my point is that they, even when they were on scholarship, they were receiving something. Now, you could argue that they weren't receiving enough, but they were still receiving something. Players in our existence, in our lifetimes, have always gotten something for playing. And I'm not here to suggest that they shouldn't get paid. They should. But I've always deemed them to be open for criticism that is, that is rightful and fair. And rightful and fair to me is just simply put something that you say about their athletic performance and it's nothing personal. Right? Like saying Victor Lockin's a bum, to me, it's that, that's like a personal. You could, say, you could say something along the lines of Aziz Bandego has zero post moves. Can't score around the rim. And that's fair criticism. Yeah. But I can't sit here and say that Aziz Bango is worthless. He needs to go back to his country. That's where you make things personal and you cross the line. All right. Um, other things in the world of sports. Cincy sports. Yeah. Speaking of, speaking of Aziz and uh, Victor. Yes. Boy, did they look good on Saturday. What a special treat that was to watch. Sit down and watch. Uh, I, any hope. I, I mentioned this earlier in the show. But any hope that I once had about this team is now gone. They they don't look good. It's it's they 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 masked their their deficiencies, their flaws in a hot stretch where they played good defense. Now they can't stop anybody. There's legit nobody they can stop on any team ever. So I, I I'm out. I'm out. I, I had my fun. They bridged the gap between spring training and um, uh, the Super Bowl. So shout out to UC I guess for fighting a little bit. But this team's not good. And I, I'm very concerned now with Wes Miller. See, I don't I'm know very, where... I'm very concerned about Let's West talk Miller. about the Wes Miller thing, because you have two sides of the aisle right now. You have people that are screaming to the moon about how that he, you know, essentially every time that he loses, he gets somebody, they make excuses for him. Excuses are made, excuses are made, excuses are made. There is something to be said about the way in which Wes Miller's reputation when he came here and the way in which he conducts himself in front of media and he conducts himself in, in, in press conference, et cetera, et cetera. He certainly buys himself a little bit of time, if you want to call it that, by the, by, by the way that he appears. If this guy was dry, sterile, and, and to be fair, kind of like Scott Satterfield, where, again, I don't know Satterfield personally, but he certainly doesn't light up a press conference or he's not saying things that everybody wants to hear all the time. Right. And you could argue that both ways can be efficient and effective. But my point with Wes is he came in, he's already got a little bit of a leash. Everybody knows he came into a tough situation. 
that's probably the best way to come. I, I've come to the point now, that's the best way to come into a situation anymore, in my opinion. Unless you are at a blue blood uh, school where you have, you know, a lot of things in place and like John Shire. But my point is, is like, if you come into a place like that, certainly by all accounts, you want it to be, you don't want it to be a mess when you get there. But when you come to a place like you see, it kind of is in your benefit to it being a little bit of a mess because you get a little bit of an extended period of time before people start to say, well, is this your guy or that guy? What program was this your program? That's really the problem. Or was this the last guy's problem? Because right now, more or less, if you're on the West Miller side, you point to John Brandon. If you're on the West Miller side, you suggest it. Well, look at the recruiting rankings and look essentially who he got. But I must remind everybody that the game in which Wes Miller is playing right now is not the same opportunity in the same game that John Brandon was playing. And, and even take it a step farther, that Mick Cronin was playing for quite some time. The level of player that you can get playing in the Big 12 versus the, the American, we all know is significantly different. Unless you're some big-time recruiter like John Calipari, or you're a big-time recruiter, and I say recruiter hard because I don't know how good of a coach, per se, uh, Penny Hardaway is, it's hard to suggest that you should be getting top-level guys coming into your program, and then when you make that transition, you know it's going to be tough. I think, for a certain extent, it feels as if Wes has somewhat overachieved in his first year in the Big 12 play. It, it almost was a concern before the year started that this team was going to basically be non-competitive. And they have been competitive. But what they've done in doing that is now Wes Miller has created this, whether it's real optics or whether it's this false illusion, time will tell, of where the state of the program actually is. Is this another guy that's come into UC that the wheels just keep spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning and ultimately you get nowhere but it looks like something's changing because you got a small glimpse of some success in little small pockets of time. Or is this a situation where, maybe the more of the camp I fall under, to where you still need just a little bit more time to make it a fair assessment on West Miller? The only semi-concern that, 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 that it seems to be that I would have if I was a Bearcat fan is it just seems like there's not any solid ground to stand on on exactly what that future is going to be and look like. You're hoping, you're hoping that these guys progress and become better players. But it seems more or less that the floor is kind of low with these guys and the ceiling's really high. I watched Dan Skillings play and I think, yeah, this guy could be a Big 12 all of, like basically a Big 12 first-teamer. But I could also see the opposite to where he never, he never really amounts to being a consistent good player. You went out and you got a big-time recruit locally, give credit where credit is due, in Rayvon Griffith. Yet you don't see him on the floor for a team you could argue has struggled pretty bad. Or could use some help. Yet you look around the country and you ask, well, he's just a freshman. He's just a freshman. And that's fine. 
And I, I shouldn't compare. I shouldn't compare, and I'm not going to compare the best freshman in the country to the freshman that UC has. But when you're right down the road from Kentucky, don't think for a second that that doesn't play a little small part in the perception of people, what, what, pe what people that are pessimistic towards West might perceive. There are some great young players that come up. When they're freshmen, they're ready to go. So you have people that are going to question Rayvon Griffith. You have people that are obviously questioning what the future of this team even looks like and who you can count on moving forward. Jizzle James certainly is one of the brighter spots, if you want to say that, of the freshmen that might, that might proceed and become a big-time player, an impactful player moving forward. But how many more years is this going to go before you're on the borderline of making the tournament? How many more years until you're just a five-seed or better and you know that going in? Because if you're going to say to me that next year is that year, I think all of us collectively that have watched UC play a lot, they need some help to get there. They're going to need something that happens that's going to get them to a spot where they will be that team. And do you believe in the, and I guess the question ultimately lies, do you believe in the progression of Dan Skillings? Do you believe in the progression of Jizzle James? Does Day Day Thomas stick around? And I know he was a junior college guy, but again, I know you have Aziz and I think uh, off the top of my head, Vic can come back. But again, do you believe in those two guys? Do you think that those two guys will, with another year under their belt, ultimately become the player you need them to be to be successful in the Big 12 and lock yourself into, as I said, maybe a five-seeded type team? It seems right now that Wes has kind of utilized the card of, hey, we're here to win now. We're good enough to win now. But when you use that card, it opens yourself up to the criticism on the opposite side when you don't win. And that's the debate that I have now with this team. Is, is, it, his, is it fair to him that he doesn't have the courses to compete in the Big 12? Because at the end of it all, I actually think they just don't have good enough players. That's on him. And the other part of this is, is there's no real, and I've watched, and I'm not suggesting, I don't know how good X's and O's that staff is as a whole either. My issue with Wes has been, at least for the past two, maybe three seasons, is that you can play decent for 60% of that game, 70% of that game, but it seems like the Bearcats will always choke down the stretch. I can't remember a ton of big clutch moments with Wes. There's a couple of them from last year. But it's man, it's it's tough to watch at this point. We're we're too far in. I'm not on the fire west wagon right now. I'm not. And, and there's a lot of people that are freaking out, and people get mad at his press conferences. He's pissed, and you should be pissed, and we're all pissed. I get it. But to have, and this is where expectations come into play here. I don't think any Bearcat fan realistically expected uh, to be a top seven team in the conference top five team in the conference nobody expected that all we wanted really was competitive basketball and they did it for a long time they've done it up until the past couple of games here but i'm looking around the roster and who's who's going to be the one that that carries us dan skillings has he has he progressed that much this season from last season i don't think so 
Well, it's, it, comes, had, down, it a, comes down to a lot of these guys, though. To be fair to West, like they're not—they're just not players that you would, should have on your roster if you've been in the Big Twelve for quite some time. It's their first year they've been in the Big Twelve, the very first year. For those that are pessimistic towards West, I would just implore you to watch the rest of the league and just—just just, if you weren't a fan, ask yourself which team would you rather have. And UC is not very high on that list for me. No, they're it, just not. But this is that's on that's part of the job's recruiting. Part of the job but, is to bring guys in. But he's only had two years to do that, and and, he, and he's over. Victor well, Lockin. Victor Lockin. Victor Lovingen was not his guy. Was fine. Victor Lockin was fine last year. I I, I think John Newman uh, again, fine last year in the John American. Newman, I'd argue, I'd argue in the John American. Newman's in the American. Yeah. If me and you go play some 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 golf against the world's worst golfers, certainly we're going to think we're going to we're going to think a little bit better of ourselves. And then we go out and we play stiffer competition and we quickly realize, wow. Maybe we're not as good as we thought we were. And that's what 100% what has happened to a lot of these guys. All of these guys that you're relying upon have come from lesser competition. Aziz Bandego has never played this type of competition ever in his life. On a night-in, night-out basis. If you want to convince me that he had one good game against some random big Power 5 school when he was at Utah State, be my guess. Or wherever he was. I don't even remember where he was. Where was he at? Utah, Utah Valley. Utah Valley. Not even Utah State. Utah State's at least a proud program that makes the tournament in the Mountain West Conference. As we all know, that's a juggernaut conference out there. But my point is he comes from Utah Valley. Uh, you have John Brandon's guy in Vic. You have... Newman, who you could rightfully say, and I, this is not a knock against John Newman, but he's in his like sixth year of eligibility. He's playing against kids that are five years younger than him. He's not somebody that you would look at and be like, that's a guy that we want on a big, good Big 12 team. There's not hardly anyone on their roster that's like that. And I get that that's part of Wes's job, but a lot of, a lot of Wes's guys that he's recruited in here are are young, very young. They're they're sophomores basically. So when does now he he's missed he's missed on listen, there are there are certain guys that he's given scholarships to, and I'm not going to name names, but you could ask yourself, what are we doing? What is what do we see in this? And why is he taking up a roster spot? They don't play a whole lot. And I don't know if Josh Reed's a good enough player to be a good Big Twelve to be to be a what's the right word to use here? an impact player on a good Big 12 team. I don't know if Josh Reed's good enough for that. Maybe he is. Sage Tolentino is obviously a guy right now that hasn't played a whole lot, and they need big man help, and he's in year three. So you can push a little bit of the blame on Wes. I'm not saying it's none of his fault. But it just seems crazy to me that there's are, there are genuine people out there that are literally like acting as if they need to get rid of this guy. And I would just when when does when does the leash run out of room? How, how you're not gonna like what I'm gonna say, but I would give him two more years. It's just crazy, man. That's just crazy. I I, I next year, fine. I'm gonna give him next year 100. percent Well, there, there's also an asterisk when I say two years. Next year, if they're competitive and it looks like they're progressing, then then yes, I'm two more years. If they go two and 28 next year, and the wheels have fallen off, maybe that's different. But that's not going to happen. What do you think? I mean, where are you at with this? You're obviously down on him. Pretty I, bad. I, I'm down. And I want to correct something. I did say Dan Skilling says he progressed. I said he didn't. Uh, clearly, he very much did. I, I'm looking at his stats. I think he's progressed at 
honestly every single statistic. So shout out to me for being wrong. Um, but next year is the year. You give him this year. I didn't expect UC to make the tournament this year. I didn't expect them really. I, I expected him to be competitive. And, and granted, they've done that. So shout out to Wes. He's, he's gotten us this far. Next year is a big step. If, if, if the Bearcats aren't talking tournament towards the end of next season, like it's not even a possibility, he's gone. He's gone. I, I just can't get behind that. But we I, have no, I, we, who's scoring points? You know what this reminds me of? This I, reminds me of, of what's happened in Cincinnati before. You have you have somebody that comes in and takes over the reins from somebody else, and there's been such a long history of there being disappointment that that ultimately that that honeymoon phase runs out too fast around here, to where you never give the next person a real chance to do what they would they would otherwise need to be able to have time to do, which is build out a complete and utter roster. Now, the only thing I would say about Wes is there are times where he's been outcoached. Well, that's, and, that's, and that's part of the issue. And, but at, he's at been outcoached point, by great coaches. Sean at, Miller is a, is a great coach. At, it just so happens he coaches for the rival. I get it. But at, at some point, like, you, have to, you have to look back at this roster and say, sure, if the players don't play good, it's not on the coach. Like people get people are gonna kill David Bell this red season. I already see it. I think it's I think it's a little different in baseball where you have to trust a reliever can go out there and get three scoreless innings. But right now in, in college basketball, they turn the ball over 15 times a game. They did it 16 times. They don't shoot free throws at a high percentage. At some point, that's on somebody. At, at some point, you have to you have to coach this team a little bit. I get that, Elliot, but but you Sean see, Miller teams time in and time out, they don't miss free throws. But but they've not had the opportunity to 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 recruit in the league that they've been in. Xavier is in the same league they've been in for how many years? When West when when, when Sean Miller took over Xavier, it was a it was just a different situation. Yeah, he did, and I'll give Sean Miller some credit. He's hit on some transfer portal guys. He has. Like if they didn't have Sule Boom last year, I don't think they make the tournament. But they had other guys on that team that were damn good. They had NBA talent on that team. There is not a single player on UC right now that has a sniff of N N NBA eligibility. You're 100% correct. And that's the problem. You cannot win the Kentucky Derby with donkeys. And, and I'm not suggesting that UC doesn't have anybody that can ever be good. But they need better players. You are not going to go into the Big 12 and win at a successful rate with the players they have right now. It's not happening. Now, how many more years do you give Wes underneath the guidelines in which he has placed on him right now? I think it's two years. I think it's two years. Two years. Because you also are recruiting different types of athletes now than you were two years ago. Sure. When Wes first took over, he wasn't recruiting like, hey, you're going to play in the Big 12. Now, he might have been saying that, but he's not getting those kids. Yeah, He's not getting high-level kids. Like it or not, but most of these high-level kids, they probably think they're like, one or two years and done type players. Now, the vast majority of them are not. But he also had the, the nation's best player on campus, what, two or three days before he made his decision. That's not happened at Cincinnati ever. No. So I'm just trying to defend Wes Miller a little bit. I'm not saying fire him. I'm saying, I'm, saying I, I, I'm concerned. I'm allowed to be a little concerned with how this season's starting to unravel. And I guess, and I guess we'll find out what happens uh, tomorrow night. If they win out, if we're trying to be stupidly they optimistic, they can't win out. Who's scoring points? 
This is not have, the question, Mr. Negative Nancy, at all times of the day. I'm asking an optimistic question. Would you at least zero. just open your mind to being sure. somewhat positive sure. right now? Just just think of uh, think of rainbows and sunshines and utopia for just a second in UC basketball. Sure. It's not going to happen. I get that's not going to happen. I'm asking the hypothetical. If they were to win out and win a game in the tournament, they're still in. They make the tournament. Correct. So? If I'm going to get made fun of and yelled at and, and everybody wanted to get upset at me when I said you had an Iowa State coming into town, it was, an, it was a huge opportunity. It was a must-win game, as I said, back, what, was it a week and a half ago or somewhere in that time frame now, when, oh, by the way, you were favored to win the game at home and you proceeded to not only lose that game, but then you obviously lost at Oklahoma State at home, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The only way to right the ship is to do something absurdly ridiculous that no one else thinks you can do, and that's to win the rest of the regular season games. You got, what, four of them left. Obviously, tomorrow night's not the one that seems to be winnable. I looked at the, uh, I looked at the ESPN analytics, because you know how much I love that. Oh, yeah. And uh, UC's been given a 3% chance of winning. So, we shall see. And we shall talk about that tomorrow and a whole lot more who knows what we'll talk about because i did not have a few things on the agenda today that we talked about off the top of my head i can't remember but maybe the most obscure thing was um bodyguards trying to defend and, football fields and Izzo. an army an army around an army of those guys would stop a court storm all right uh box lunch is coming up now with reed mouse that is if you're a member take care everybody we'll see you tomorrow